I just see us moving more toward the return of Christ. Are you all with me on that? I just see the rapture of the church being soon. You just see things ramping up. You see the devil fighting. And believe me, the devil is fighting. We're seeing it all around us. We're we're feeling the effects of it. Sometimes we even let him get victories in our lives, not even realizing that he's just trying to defeat our testimony for Christ. And so this morning as I preach this message, I, I preach it. You can see what it is. David says, who am I? And as I preach it, I, I have to think about this. I, I think about how God is accomplishing his plan on this earth and how he is bringing about his ultimate end, his ultimate goal, and that is his son to receive his kingdom and for death to be conquered. Aren't you glad that that's coming? For this flesh to be this corruptible, to put on incorruption, for the devil to be defeated and locked up for all of eternity, all of those things. We're working toward, and you and I get to be a part of it, and we're on the winning team if you've placed your faith in Christ, and I just have to say, who am I to deserve such a blessing, and so that's my attitude going into the sermon this morning, and in Second Samuel chapter 7, David is near the beginning of his reign. He's about 13 years into his 40-year reign. He reigned as king of Israel for 40 years. And during that first 13 years, he had battles. He had to fight inside and outside the kingdom. But by this time, all the battles had ended. Within the kingdom and outside of the kingdom, all the battles had ended at this point, and he could now focus on building the kingdom instead of battling those who were opposing him. The Ark of the Covenant had just been brought to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So the Ark of the Covenant was uh, was now, it had been taken by the Philistines earlier, Uh, it was within the boundaries of Israel, but it was not in Jerusalem. Now it is. It is within Jerusalem, and David wants to build God a temple to put it in. And so he brings Nathan the prophet into him, and he tells Nathan what's on his mind, and this is what I want to do. And Nathan then brings a message from God back to King David. That is quite a phenomenal message, and we're going to end up reading it this morning. It takes up the first part of chapter 7. And then after Nathan brings that message from God, David responds. And that's where I want to start this morning. In 2 Samuel 7, look at verse number 16. Samuel is, or excuse me, Nathan is now at the end of his message, and he says this. To David and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Period. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Father, we want to thank you for your word. 
We want to thank you for the truth that is here this morning. I pray that you would be with my stammering tongue and my weak flesh and deliver the message, Lord, that you want for this church this morning. I thank you for these people that they're here. I thank you, dear Father, that you have allowed us to come together. I thank you, Lord, that these folks are in Brentwood Baptist Church. And Lord, we trust that the hearts of each individual is prepared for the preaching of your word and wants to hear what you have to say. So now, Lord, would you please feed us, teach us, grow us. And Lord, when it's all done, may we be yielded to you and obedient in our response to you. And these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, we've only read a portion of the passage this morning, the end of Nathan's comments to David and the beginning of David's prayer to God. So I want to go back and get the context that brought David to this point where he sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? Let's back up to verse number 1. In 2 Samuel 7, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. It says this, And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. Now let me pause there for just a moment. And we're going to work our way through this passage. And I'm going to point out certain truths as we go along. Some of these we're going to move quickly through. Some of them we're going to spend a little more time on. But the first one is this. David had a desire to build God's house. That's important for us to understand that from the beginning. David wanted to build a house for God. They were still worshiping in the tabernacle. God knew David's heart just like he knows yours and mine. God wants to see a desire to build his house. He loved seeing that within David. And you can see uh, in a few minutes as we read Nathan's response, as God gave Nathan that message to give to David, you can see how that God just loved David's heart and David's desire to build God's house. But God has not changed in that. He loves to see that same desire in you and me too. And God knew his heart. God's blessing had given David prosperity. He's 13 years into his reign. He was a shepherd on a hillside. And now he sits king of Israel. He had peace all around him because of God's blessing. It had given him God's blessing, had given David prosperity. And David did not let it make him complacent, nor did he take it for granted. He recognized God in all of his successes. David didn't sit there with a spirit of entitlement. He didn't say, I've worked hard to get to this point. I have fought. I have done hard things. I deserve what I have. Now I can just sit back and enjoy it. No, that was not David's attitude. David sat back and said, look at what God has done for me and look at what he has given me. Look at the blessings that I have. Now I need to build God's house. That was David's attitude. Now let's keep reading, beginning in verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent And in a tabernacle. Now let me explain something and then we're going to read another verse. 
They were still worshiping in the tabernacle in the wilderness, from the wilderness. Now, what God says here at the end of this is, we, uh, but he has walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. Now, we know what a tent is. Let me uh, explain for you what a tabernacle is. A tabernacle is a temporary dwelling place. Sometimes in Scripture, a tabernacle refers to a tent because it's temporary. You can pick it up, fold it up, move it on. Sometimes it refers to our human body. Our body is temporary. When this life is over, your soul will go to one of two places. You will either go to heaven or you will go to hell. It is a temporary dwelling place. That is our body. It is a tabernacle. Sometimes it refers to the booths. You all remember the Feast of Tabernacles where they actually built booths made out of branches and stuff like that. It was meant to be temporary. So that's the idea behind this word. So God is saying, I have dwelt in tent and in temporary dwellings. And he makes reference from the time that he brought them out of Egypt. That's when the tabernacle was built. And it was about 450 years earlier. And they were still worshiping God in that tabernacle. God could not be contained in a building. Let me see what we or give you what we see in this point. David needed to recognize God's greatness. And God is pointing that out to David. Look at verse number seven. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, why build ye not me a house of cedar? God is saying this. He's saying, look, David, I can't be contained within a building. Please understand, I am too great for that. I am God. I'm the creator. Even though he appreciated what David wanted to do, he wanted him to clearly understand that building that temple would not keep God confined to that building. Now, let me say this morning, as much as we recognize that this is the house of God and we refer to this building as the Lord's building, it does not contain God if you and I are not here. Do we understand that? The church is the body of Christ. It is the people. And you and I make up the church. But I want us to understand the house or the temple was for God's worship. It is called the house of God because it is the place where man and God meet to worship corporately. But it was for the benefit of men. God cannot be contained to a house. But you and I can go to the house of God and worship him. It is God's house, but he does not need a house. We need God's house. And so God is trying to teach David a lesson here. Please understand, David, I cannot be contained to that building. Okay, but let's keep reading. Look at verse number eight. God is teaching David several lessons through this passage. In verse number eight through 11, I want us to see that God wanted David to recognize his own weakness. Look at verse number eight. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant, David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemy out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. 
and as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. My friend, this is an amazing portion of scripture. This began by David saying to God's man, Nathan the prophet, Nathan, I live in a house of cedar. I want to build God a house. And you know what God says to David? God says, there's a couple things you need to know, David, before we get into this. Number one, I can't be contained in a building. It needs to be built. And it needs to be built to honor me. And it's built so that you can come and worship me. But it can't contain me. I'm too great for that. And then he said, now there's a few things you need to know about yourself. Because we need to understand what you are in relation to who I am. That's what David is saying here. But in the process of doing this, God is so pleased with David's attitude that God literally says at the end of verse number 11, The Lord telleth thee, David, just like I set up judges and it happened, just like I gave rest from the enemies and it happened, I'm making you a promise, David, I'm going to build you a house. Now we'll say more about that later, but that's an important phrase. But as God speaks to David here in verses 8 and 9 in particular, There are some things that God brings up. Let me put them in modern vernacular and ask you a few questions here, church. Based on what we read here in verses 8 and 9 and 10, who brought David to this point in his life? It's It's an easy answer. What is it? God did. Who gave victory in all the military battles up to this point? God did. Y'all are catching on now. Who gave peace to the nation? Okay, come on, guys. You can help me out. It's the same answer every time. Does that help? Who had blessed David personally? God did. Who blessed the nation under David's reign? God did. David was successful because of whom? God. That's why. David was weak, but God was strong. And God is wanting David to understand that. Please understand that before we move on, because this is important to what God is trying to communicate. Now, let's look at verses 12 through 14. And God is going to teach us this. God was looking to the next generation. Look at verse number 12. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, in other words, thou shalt die and be buried. I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Folks, this is is fantastic. Parents, you and I need to get a hold of this. We need to understand the truth that... That, uh, that God is trying to communicate here. God is communicating to David, look, David, I'm going to bless you, but I want you to know that because of your faithfulness, get this, because of your faithfulness, I'm looking past you. I'm looking to your son. Now, as a father, this is one of the most blessed passages I think David could have heard. God said, I will be with your son. 
because of your faithfulness, David. Wow. Hey, dads, can we get a hold of that? Moms, can you, can, can you get a hold of that? Because of your faithfulness, God will literally bless the next generation. Now, we see that David got this, at least in part he did. There were some times where David messed up as a father. The scripture records it. We have it. As a matter of fact, reading through the life of David should be encouraging to any Christian. Because you can see where David failed, and you can relate to that. You can see where David surrendered to God, and you can relate to that. And you can see where that God, as he knew David's heart, would bless David for it. God punished David when he sinned. God blessed David when he was obedient. And David just has so many aspects of his life that each and every one of us can relate to. But let me say this, when we live in selfishness, parents... When we live with rebellion in our lives and we know it, we are not the only ones who are hurt. It is the next generation that gets hurt just as much as we do, if not more. And let me say that that then could easily carry on into the next generation after that. We've got to get a hold of this. As we approach the end of time, and I believe it's coming, I don't know when it's going to be, I'm not making any predictions. But I can see it ramping up, and I can tell you that we're one day closer today than we were yesterday, right? And as we approach the end of time, and as the devil begins to increase his fighting, I just see Christian families who are beginning, not beginning, but are patterning their lifestyles after the world, and it breaks my heart. God doesn't have proper priority. David said, I'm going to build God a house. And when David got that right, God turned around and said, now, David, I'm going to build you a house. Let me just say that the devil will stick it in anywhere that he can. He will do whatever he can to get us distracted. He will do whatever he can to keep us from obedience because he knows, particularly if there's children in your home, that he's not just getting at you, but he has a better chance of getting at them, too. Well, look at verse number 15. God said, David, I'm going to look past you to the next generation. But in verses 15 through 17, I want us to see that it didn't just carry on to the next generation. One man's faithfulness affected all of eternity. In verse number 15, it carries on as God continues to say this. But my mercy shall not depart away from him. That is speaking of David's son. Now, we know this is Solomon because we know the end of the story. At this point, David didn't know this or didn't know who it was. My mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David forever. Christian, what else can you do in this life upon this terrestrial ball that has eternal results other than God's work? We all know the answer to that, don't we? We all know the answer to that. There is nothing else we can do on this earth that has eternal results other than God's work. And God makes this promise to David based upon David's faithfulness. The results of this promise are eternal. 
As a matter of fact, so much so, you and I understand that as God blessed David's seed, uh, that ultimately that was uh, in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who then will be the King of kings and Lord of lords throughout all of eternity. We understand all of that. But it was one man's faithfulness that brought this promise on. And God said, David, it's going to last forever. Wow. Look at verse 18. In verse number 18, we see David's first response was to praise God. Look at verse 18. We've read it once. Let's read it again. It says this. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Listen, I got to tell you, after hearing what David just heard from Nathan the prophet, any man who has, a, has a, a fear of God would do the same thing. Wow. David, who, um, David says, who am I? God, who am I that you would do this for me? You see, David understood what God was trying to teach him. As God said, David, you, you understand my greatness. You can't contain me in a house. David, you understand where you're at. I'm the one that brought you here. You understand your position. You understand my position. Just like we've mentioned before, when Jesus Christ was, had given the the disciples, that pattern prayer, he taught us the same thing. He said, uh, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he went on and said, thy will be done in heaven or on earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? Jesus is teaching us, God, you're right where you belong. And I'm down here where I belong. We see your greatness. We understand our humility. Who am I? Who am I to receive such blessing from God? So David went and he sat before the Lord. And his first response was not to get swollen up with pride. Not to say I deserve it. But to say, God, who am I? Now let me ask us this morning. On this April morning of 2022. Christian, who am I? To have salvation freely given to me. Who am I to have the privilege of building God's house? And let me ask, are you building? Are you involved in building God's house? Do you have that desire? Sitting in a chair is not building God's house. Building God's house is being active in God's work. Who am I to have been blessed with material blessings? Did you all have breakfast this morning if you wanted it? There are some people in this world that didn't. Who am I to have those material blessings? Who am I to live in a peaceful country? Did you all have to dodge bullets this morning coming to church? There are some people that don't live in a peaceful country, right? There are some of you sitting in this auditorium who have come from countries that is not peaceful. Who am I to be able to give to God's work? What a privilege it is to give to support the missionaries that are around the world serving God to support this work so that we can have uh, outreach and so that we can have these services and so that we can see souls saved. What a privilege it is to give back to God a portion of what he's given us. Who am I to deserve that kind of privilege? Who am I to be able to get up and work in the morning to get the strength to get out of bed? Who am I to be able to come to this worship service? Under my own strength and power. And while some people are making excuses as why not to come to church, I have to say, God, who am I to deserve such a privilege as to be here among your people? 
Who am I to be here tonight? Who am I to have the privilege of coming Wednesday night? Who am I to have the privilege of coming to special prayer meetings and kneeling side by side with other believers who believe that prayer works and believe that God will move if we simply cry out to him? Who am I to have such a privilege? I don't deserve it. Who am I? to have my own children, to be able to reach and train them for the Lord so that they can reach the next generation, so that I can impact the next generation for Christ. And those of you who have children in your home, please understand there's you and then there's your spouse. But please understand when you have children, you are passing the baton to the next generation. And those of you that have multiple children within your home, you're able to affect the next generation in multiple areas around this country. But you got to teach them how. Who am I to have that kind of privilege? Who am I to be able to talk about my Savior? Who am I to be able to share his love with others? What a privilege that is. Who am I to be able to read in my own language the very words of God? There are people around this world that don't have that privilege. Do you understand that? Praise God for it. Who am I to be able to live a separated lifestyle that literally speaks of God so that those around me can see through my actions from day to day that I serve a living God? Who am I to be able to impact eternity with my finances and my time and my life? Who am I to have such a privilege? And listen, let me say this morning, don't talk to me about the burden of sacrificing for the Lord's work. I'm telling you, it's a privilege to be able to offer up full surrender to my Lord and Savior. Who am I to have such a privilege? And if you're holding back on God this morning, shame on you. You do not understand the blessings of full surrender. Oh, what a blessing it is. Now, not that it's not without struggles, mind you, because there are struggles involved. Because the more you serve God, the more the devil's going to fight you. The more you serve God, the more your flesh is going to resist it. As some person put it one time, they said it this way. They said, serving God has its problems, but man, the retirement is out of this world. (laughs) Praise God for that. But let me say it this way, too. Who am I to tell God no when he speaks to me? He's my creator, right? Who am I to resist him? I'd be a fool. And who are you to tell God no when he speaks to you, right? Would you turn, take your hymn book and turn to hymn number 129, please. Now, don't worry, we're not going to sing. I'm not quite in a position this morning to sing. However, John Song this morning in Sunday school mentioned that he'd like to learn how to play the harp. So, uh, wait, that's not exactly what you said, was it, John? I want you to see something. Now, before I show you what I want you to see in this hymn, I want you to see here what God has done so far. David, I recognize your desire to build my house. But David, you need to recognize my greatness. And David, at the same time, you need to recognize your own weakness. And you need to understand who you are and who I am. And David, I want you to know that I'm going to look past you because your faithfulness has given me a reason to bless your children after you. And I want you to know that it's going to be throughout all of eternity. And then David went and sat before God and said, God, who am I? With those points in mind, I want you to look at the song, At the Cross, hymn number 129. I want to show you something. Verse number one says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? 
would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Does that sound a little harsh to you? According to much of modern Christianity, that, that phrase would, be, would, would not be acceptable. As a matter of fact, there are some hymn books that when they put this hymn in their hymn book, they decided to change the words and they changed it for sinners such as I. So why would the author of this hymn refer to himself as a worm? That just doesn't sound very self-gratifying, does it? Do you realize that that is a scriptural expression? I'm going to ask a few men in this church to look up some references for us. I need somebody to look up Job 17.14. Who will look that up? Job 17.14. Daniel, thank you. Larry, would you look up Job 25.6? I need one more. Uh, another man. Job uh, back yonder. Isaiah 41.14. Isaiah 41, 14. And for the rest of us, I'd like us to go to Psalm 22, please. Now keep a finger here because we're coming back to 2 Samuel. But go to Psalm 22 in verse number 6. Psalm 22, 6. Now who had Job 17, 14? Go right ahead, Daniel. If you, would you stand as you read that, please? That's kind of self-belittling, isn't it? Job 25, 6. Man, a worm. Isaiah 41, 14, please. I want you to notice something about that last verse that Brother Sunnity just read. He refers to Jacob as thou worm. But then he says this, I will help thee. I'm thy redeemer. I'm the Holy One of Israel. God is contrasting himself and his holiness to you and me as sinful men. And the comparison is clear. You and I are as a worm in the presence of a holy God. Now, there are some that may think, wait just a minute, I thought religion was to make us feel good. No, 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 no. This is not religion. We're not here because of religion. We are here this morning because of a relationship that we have with God. And in God's presence, you and I are as a worm. But please understand, God is our Redeemer. God will help us. And our self-worth, if you want to put it in those words, is due to our relationship with Him. When Jesus took our place, look at verse 22. I want you to see what He says. In Psalm 22, look at verse 6. This is a psalm that shares with us what Christ went through on the cross. And it lets us into the mind of Christ. And it says this. For I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Do you realize that when Jesus Christ bore our sins, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And when he bore our sins, he referred to himself as a worm. Now, is it no wonder that when David heard what Nathan the prophet said, David went in before God and said, Who am I, O Lord God? Is it no wonder? But then again, shouldn't you and I feel the same way? Are you all with me? 
Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Who am I to be so blessed of God? Now I want you to notice in verse number 19, 2 Samuel 7 verse 19, David is praying. In 2 Samuel 7 and verse number 19, David says this, And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. But thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Is this the manner of man? David is saying to God, God, you have blessed me. Who am I to be so blessed? But God, this is not anything that man is capable of doing. Man can't do these things. Only God can do these things that God has done for David and promised to continue to do for David. Only God can weave those events together. Let me just remind us this morning. Well, let me, this is not a reminder. Let me just tell you a little bit testimony for, of somebody that is sitting in here with us this morning. Sitting up here next to Mimi is a lady by the name of Sarah. By the way, I asked her before I told you this so that she knows that I, I, I asked her if she would be willing to stand up here. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't ask that. Sarah took a class over at Oakton. And while she was taking that class over at Oakton, you know who was her teacher? Mimi. And Sarah asked Mimi one day, said, can I come to your Easter service? Mimi said, sure, come on. So she came. We chatted for a few minutes after the service, and Sarah had some questions. She had set up a meeting. She came here Friday to meet with Mimi. They went to the scripture, and on Friday afternoon, Sarah asked Christ to forgive her of her sins and to save her soul. Now, let me just ask you a question. Was it a coincidence that she took the class that she took over at Oakton? Was it a coincidence that Mimi was teaching that class? Was it a coincidence that God had worked all the details out to bring her to that point where that on Saturday she saw her need for a Savior and asked Christ to save her? The answer is only God could do that. There's a young, well, there's a man that has been attending our church for a while. His name's Tom. Is Tom here this morning? Tom the furnace man. Okay, I don't know his last name. He's been attending for a while. Tom was on a call to work on our furnace. We had a furnace over here that wasn't working. A part went bad that shouldn't have gone bad. It was a relatively new part, and it went bad. And so Daniel uh, Brossett uh, called and had the company come out, the company that installed it. They sent out a technician by the name of Tom. And when Tom got here, Daniel talked to him. And then I ended up meeting Tom, and we invited him to church. And you know what Tom said? Tom said, I used to go to church. And I know that God wants me to get back in church. And I needed to go back to church. I just didn't know where to go. You know what God did? God put it on his work docket that day to show up in the church that he ended up attending. Now, why that part went bad, what do you think? Let me ask you a question. Is that the manner of men? No, that's not the thing that man does. Only God did that. 
I remember the story of Ruth Ann Newhouse. It's kind of amusing to me. She was out walking the dog, listening to sermons from Brentwood Baptist Church. And she said, I think we need to go check this church out. And they drove all the way over here. And when they got here, they decided to stay. And they haven't left the church since. And that's been how many years, Ruth Ann? Three, four, five, six. Who coordinated that? Are you all seeing what I'm seeing? And I'm going to tell you that as I look out in this room, all the way across this room, there are stories in here that are like that for several people. Who coordinated the details to bring you to Christ? Who coordinated the details to bring you to Brentwood Baptist Church? Who uh, coordinated all of those details that God wanted to achieve something in your life and he brought you to that point? Who did that? Who wove all those pieces together? Man couldn't do that. Only God could. And who am I to be the recipient of such a great plan by a great God? And who are you? Look at verse number 20. David continues to pray and says, And what can David say unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. I want you to see this. God did great things and will continue to do great things even though he knows us. See, that's what David is saying here. As when David says this, Thou knowest, God, thou knowest thy servant. He's saying, God, I am not worthy. God, you know the the sinner that I am. You know the man that I am. And in spite of our sinful self, God chooses to bless us. He chooses to save us. He chooses to use us. And I say, praise his name for that. God knew the sinfulness of David, but David is also the man. Now listen, David is also the man who prayed this. As you read his Psalms, he says, search me. He says, judge me. He says, try me. He says, prove me, God. David is praying and asking God to purge him. He even uses the word purge. God, purge me. And so even though David was a man who had sinned before God, he turned to God and said, God, would you judge me? Would you try me, prove me, purge me, make me clean? God knew David's heart of surrender. God knows how undeserving we are, yet he's willing to use us. And in verse number 21, For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart, it's ultimately for God's glory. When we review what God has done for our, in our lives, And by the way, it's a good idea to sit down sometimes and just remember what God has done for us. How can we not see that God is glorious? God does what no man can do, and it speaks of his magnificent glory. And we don't deserve it. Who am I to have God's hand on my life? By the way, we see this theme throughout David's prayer. Look at verse 26. David, continuing his prayer, says, And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. God's name is to be magnified. David never wanted to let the blessings of God stand in the way of giving God glory. By the way, that's a problem with a lot of people today. We take the blessings of God and we put them between us and God. We see it all around us. 
God blesses us and we put the blessings above God, we even judge God's favor on our lives sometimes by the amount of material blessings that he gives us. That's mixed up priorities. In the book of Romans, Paul writes it this way as he talks about those who, are, who are, have strayed from God. He says they worship and serve the creature more than the creator. God gives us family, and we often put them above God. God gives us jobs, and we often put them above God. God gives us finances, and we often spend them in ways that displease God. God gives us comforts, and we often exalt our own comfort above our surrender to God. And our heart is, if I have to give up my comforts, I will not give God my time. And let me just ask you, who gave you those comforts? God did. God's name be magnified in everything. And God, the blessings that you give me will not stand in the way. Well, jump down to verse 27. David continuing to pray. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee a house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true, and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of, this, of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, and with thy blessing let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Listen, when we start out to build God's house, God's way, you know what the end result is? God builds our house. Parents, don't get it mixed up. David's response, when all this was announced to him, was to go straight to God and to thank him. Now, stick with me just a little longer. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians, for, excuse me, 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. Now, we're going to fast forward. About 27 years after this prayer, David is now at the end of his reign. Sometimes we start good and we end bad, right? Not David. Look at 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. David is now at the end of his reign. He now knows that son that is going to take over the kingdom. He knows that Solomon is it. And he is now at the coronation service of Solomon. David had reigned for 40 years. He prayed the prayer that we just read back in 2 Samuel. He prayed that 27 years ago. And he lived it throughout the rest of his life. We get to 1 Chronicles 29. Let's back up to verse number 12. Where he says this, both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given them. Have we given thee? Wow. David lived it. Now, let me say this. David started, or we started this morning by looking at David's desire to build God's house. 
Now here at the end of his reign, the desire is just as strong as it was at the beginning. God told David, David, you're not going to do it. I appreciate your desire, but I'm going to let your son do it. God had his reasons. And uh, David did not bemoan that. But what David did was throughout the rest of his reign, he did everything he could to prepare. He gave He collected, he drew plans, and when Solomon took over the kingdom, David literally handed over to Solomon everything that he needed to build God a house. Parents, is there something to be learned from that lesson? You see, David's desire to build God's a house, build God a house, had driven a lot of what he did throughout his reign. Now he's turning the kingdom over to his son, Solomon. And as he's doing that, he's passing the kingdom and the responsibility to build God's house over to his son. Now flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 2. The question is, did Solomon get it? 2 Chronicles 2, look at verse 5. David is now dead. And Solomon, it says in verse number one, determined to build a house for the name of the Lord, made the plans, well, took the plans of his father. And we get to verse five and Solomon is speaking. He says this, and the house which I build is great. Why is that, Solomon? For great is our God above all gods. That's why. But who is able to build him a house See, and the heaven of, and heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Who am I then that I should build him a house and save only to burn sacrifice before him? Do you think Solomon got it? Yes, he did. Do you see verse 6? Seeing that the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Where did he get that idea? His dad taught him. Because that's what God taught David. Our God is great, Solomon says. And then he says, who am I to be able to do such a thing? I'd say he adopted his father's attitude, wouldn't you? You see, David was not the greatest of dads at time, but one thing that Solomon, his son, learned was the greatness of his God. And let me say this, God had David in his grip, and a God who had so gripped his father's life was certainly a God worth serving as Solomon watched it. Parents, please get a hold of this. Fathers, please understand, you're not perfect. None of us are. But if there is one thing that you can leave to your children, it's a testimony of the life of surrender, a life that says, I understand the greatness of God, and I'm going to live for Him for the rest of my life, and who am I to deserve such a privilege? Parents, let your children see you read your Bible. Let your children see how important church is to you. Let your children hear your voice in prayer. Let your children see a love for your family that is Christ-like and emanates Christ. Let your children see you talk of Christ to others. Let your children see you draw lines in the sand where you say, we're not doing that because that goes contrary to God's word. Let your children see those things in your life. Let them see that God has you in His grip. And if your children don't see these things, 
then they don't understand that God is, or they do understand that God really is not as important to you as you may say that he is. Back in 2 Samuel 7, don't turn there. I just want to remind us of what God said to David in verse 11. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. God puts a priority on our homes. And then in turn, our homes build God's house, but it must be done right. Get a hold of this this morning, Christian. Who are we to deserve such privileges and to be able to pass them on to our children?